Today we are going to be reading Psalms 125. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. They, just as the mountains surrounded Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for the godly might be tempted to do wrong. O oh Lord, do good do, to those who are good, with those with whose hearts are in tune with you, but banish those who turn to crooked ways. O oh Lord, take them away with those who do evil. May Israel have peace. You may be seated. Yeah. Love it. Uh, hey, my name's Jason. I'm the pastor here. If I didn't get a chance to introduce myself or haven't met you, I'd love the chance to get to do that. Um, thank you for being in church today. Um, you made a great decision, I think, to be in church, and so we're glad uh, that you're here. I, I do want to say before I get started today uh, that um, for those of you who Hope City is your church, this is your home, um, we want to just remind you again that um, next Sunday is a very important day for our church. Uh, if you have been around at all over the last several weeks or really months, you know that we have been um, praying about and actively connecting with another local congregation on Arnold Town Road, Harvest Church of God. We've had two joint services over there. Hopefully you had a chance to be a part of those because they were really special. Um, and w both congregations next Sunday will vote on whether or not we will become one congregation. And uh, we've had a chance to talk about that. If you do not know what I'm talking about, I'd try to answer some questions for you after service, but I think most of you do. And uh, so you will vote next Sunday as a congregation. Separately, they will vote as a congregation. And if both congregations would like to make this move, then that's what we'll do. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to be a part of that, you need to be here early next week because uh, we're going to vote at the beginning of the service because our denominational leader who's, who's leading this process is going to be with us first, then he's going to leave and go to harvest. They're going to vote at the end. So if you roll in here 15 minutes late, that's okay. You just will miss the vote, okay? So um, that's happening next Sunday. This week, just please continue to be praying. We would not be bringing this to you, our elders, our staff, myself, if we did not feel this was the right move. But throughout this entire process, we've wanted there to be unity about this in both, on both sides, in both congregations. And so that's why we've tried to take our time with this and give you an opportunity to get to know them, give them an opportunity to know you. Matter of fact, a few of the Harvest members were here yesterday serving with, serving with us at Blessed Back, which I thought was really cool. And so um, we'd love for you to be here and, uh, and be a part of that. And again, let me just say one more time, if you're a guest today or if this is your first time being here and you're like, what? It's cool. Don't worry about it. And uh, just keep coming back and we'll let you know where you need to come and then you can meet us there and uh, become a part of the church, okay? So today, I want us to look at this short psalm that Nora just read for us in Psalm 125, just five verses that she read to us. And the question that we have to ask right away about this psalm, uh, maybe you thought this as she was reading it, is um, what does a 4,000-year-old song about Israel and Mount Zion have to do with you and me? That's a great question to ask, and I love that question because I think Psalm 125 is the perfect example of um, a time or times when we go to read the Bible hoping to find something we can personally relate to, 
Maybe I preach a sermon on reading the Bible or getting engaged with Scripture, or you go buy a new Bible and some highlighters and a journal, and you're ready to jump in, and you're going to be all in, and you're going to wake up 30 minutes early and read the Bible, and you are so just jacked up for Jesus. And so you go, and you open the Bible hoping you're going to find like that verse about how to be nice to the person at work who's a jerk. You know, you're open, that's the verse that pops out today, and you open the Bible and it says, you're like Mount Zion, and you're like, what? Well, Israel have peace, what, what are you talking about? And so there are all these times where we come to verses in the Bible and we think, what in the world does that have to do with me or my life? And if you read enough of those verses, you can think, the Bible does not affect my day-to-day life. The Bible doesn't have any Uh, anything to do. It doesn't connect in any any way with what I'm dealing with. Hey, I'm sharing custody with an ex-spouse, and it's a little dicey right now. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Hey, I'm I'm trying to change careers, and I'm not sure what I should do. Where's that verse? I'm trying to decide who I should date. Where's that verse? You know, I'm trying to decide if I should move to that house or in that neighborhood, or where's that verse? And I think, unfortunately, maybe is the right way to say it, I think social media and our, just our culture at large has kind of conditioned us to think that we should be able to get answers and profound things in 30-second sound clips and uh, meme posters and one-verse inspirational calendars, right? And there's nothing wrong with those things, but I think we have to be careful sometimes that we don't have this idea or this mindset like, God, I want you to speak to me, Lord, Tuesday between 7.30 and 7.45 a.m. God, I want you to speak to me three times this year when I open my Bible. Make it profound. If we're not careful, we can kind of get caught in this, this cycle of like, okay, well, every time I open Instagram, I learn like a little business nugget. Or every time I, you know, watch a video on Facebook or whatever, then like, I, you know, I got this like 30-second sermon or my favorite preacher clip or whatever it is. And the reason I say all that is not because those things aren't helpful, but the reason I say it is because reading the Bible is a discipline, and it's something you build your life on, but there are lots of times when we go to read the Bible, we want to become the kinds of people who read the Bible, study the Bible, are able to learn the Bible and understand the Bible, and you will stay frustrated if you expect to go to the Bible, to open it up, randomly pick a verse and have God speak to you. Now, here's what's cool, is God will do it sometimes. That's why it's so tempting to want that, because that's prob- maybe that's happened to you before. I know a lot of us have had those experiences where it was just a random verse, and it was like, bam. But generally speaking, consistently speaking, if you want to learn from the Scripture and hear from God, you have to develop study habits and Scripture reading habits that will help you to, to learn what it is that you should learn. So we're going to try to do that a little bit today, and Psalm 125 is one of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms of Ascent, and the Psalms of Ascent are Psalm, uh, Psalms 120 through 134. So if you've ever read the book of Psalms, you know it starts at one, okay, and then it goes all the way through, and there it's the longest book in the Bible, and they're all numbered, and when you get to Psalms 120 to 134, those are historically known as Psalms of Ascent. And the reason that they're called the Psalms of Ascent is because these are the songs, not psalms, songs, S-O-N-G-S, songs that the Hebrew people 
sang together as they traveled together to Jerusalem, because once a year, every Hebrew, every Jewish person had to go to Jerusalem for Passover to make a sacrifice. And Jerusalem was up on a hill. And so they would travel together in groups because it was unsafe to travel by yourself back then. And so everybody would travel in groups. You remember the story where Jesus was left uh, in the temple and his parents got home and like three days later, they're like, where's our son? You know, uh, maybe that's happened to you, me, I don't know. But the reason that that happened or could happen is because there's lots of people traveling in these groups and, and people are kind of, you know, together. And so Jerusalem's sitting up on a hill and they're traveling and they're going uphill and they're walking, they're ascending and they would sing and repeat these Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through Psalm uh, 134. And in a way, you could say that, that these particular Psalms, 120 through 134, were like road trip music, kind of. Anybody got a favorite road trip playlist? Anybody? I, every time Tim McGraw, uh, barbecue stain on my white t-shirt comes on, I think about my junior and senior year of high school because we would go to the football games and we'd listen to Tim McGraw and, you know, whatever. But, but there, you probably got a road trip playlist, something you go to. I, I'm embarrassed to let you know that your, your pastor's wife ha, has some old R&B rap on her playlist. Some now that's what I call music, like 14, okay? And she loves some of that. And so when we get in the car, that's what we're rocking, you know? And, uh, but this is, this is, in a way, it's road trip music for these Hebrew people. And as you read them, they don't really sound like great songs. Like they don't rhyme. They don't really have a rhythm to them. But you have to remember that they were in the Hebrew language. They were recited and sung in the Hebrew language. And these particulars, 120 through 134, are about God's presence during hard times and the help of the Lord and prayers of blessings and repentance and, and God's will and God's love. And so these particular were so important to these people that were making this journey because these in particular were reminders to them of how good God was and what God had done and what God was doing in their life. And so I would actually encourage you over the next two weeks to read one of these Psalms of Ascent each day. Just read it a few times over and over again. Just pick one. Maybe go to the message translation that changes the language just a little bit and read one of these uh, several times over and over again each day because I think you'll learn something from it. But it does bring us today to Psalm 125. Psalm 125. This short little five-verse psalm is a song about confidence, specifically confidence in God, confidence in our faith, confidence in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I love to play golf. A lot of you know that. It's my hobby of choice. I love to play golf. It's kind of a family thing. All the guys in our family play golf, and we love it. And here's what I've noticed uh, about golf is that golf is the only sport or activity where grown men are humble. It's the only one. You ask a guy, like, hey, do you play basketball? They're like, yeah, I play some ball. Yeah, I can play. You know, you ask them, you know, you play softball. Like, oh, I can kill the ball. You know, you ask them, do you fish? Like, I'm going to tell you about their fishing. But anytime you ask a grown man or woman, but I'm just talking about the men that I know that I play with, anytime you ask them, hey, do you play golf? They're like, I mean, I'm not any good. That's what everybody says every time. I mean, I'm not any good. It's the only sport that grown men are humble. It's an amazing thing, right? 
And the reason that this happens is because golf is an incredibly humbling sport. Only 2% of golfers ever score below 80. If you don't know about golf, 72 is usually like, that's awesome, that's scratch, that's par. Only 2% of golfers who ever play golf get below 80. And so if you play golf for long at all, you become an incredibly negative, pessimistic person. When I play golf with people and they find out I'm a pastor, they always make the same joke, like, oh, I can't cuss today, because like, everybody wants to cuss when they, play, when they play golf, right? And they assume they're going to stink, and they may play good every once in a while, but in general, they have very low expectations about their performance. I'm telling you, everybody, you ask, do you play golf? I'm not very good. I'll try. It's not going to be very good, right? Well, in this way, I was thinking about that with golf because in this way, I think there's a similarity between golf and, and faith. And here's what I mean. I've been around Christians my entire life. I've been around Christians my entire life. And most of us talk about living the Christian life very pessimistically. There's this assumption that we're going to struggle or that we're going to fail or that we're going to fall. And we talk as if we're like one bad day away from throwing in the towel or one temptation away from giving in or one question away from losing our faith. I mean, I talk to Christians all the time. I talk to you all the time. And we talk about following Jesus like just trying to hold on, you know, just, I, mean, I don't know, we'll see, just, just very, very, very pessimistically and negatively. And honestly, that's not an accident. Much of that comes from the fact that historically churches and preachers have used fear to motivate because nothing preaches good like guilt. And so we've learned to be terrified of the prospect of messing up. Like a lot of you, I grew up in church environments where it felt like you were one bad day away, one curse word away, you know, watching one bad movie away from losing it all. Anybody grow up in a church like that? Come on, let me see your hand. Okay, like a couple of us. It's just like one, good for you, by the way, just one, one bad choice away from just losing it all. And so what would happen is every service, the preacher would get up, and the preacher in some way would, would bring that up, challenge us in that way, apply a little bit of pressure and guilt, sometimes to the Holy Spirit, sometimes not. And when we would come up to the altar and we would say, God, I'm sorry, and I shouldn't do that. And listen, there's nothing wrong with repentance, and there's nothing wrong with conviction. And man, when God is knocking on your heart, you need to respond. But... That kind of methodology kind of taught me to take my spiritual temperature every day, or at least every week, and if anything about that was, was off, if anything about that wasn't right, then I should panic and get to church as fast as possible and get to the altar as fast as possible. Now, maybe that was not your experience growing up. Some of us grew up in that tradition. Others of you, uh, that wasn't your tradition, but you still can relate to this idea that, like, there were these periodic check-ins, these times where you were made to believe that, like, you're one mistake away, one bad day away. And there is some good that comes from that. But it also made me incredibly insecure about my faith. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. That it didn't necessarily give me confidence about my faith, but it gave me a lot of insecurity about my faith. 
Does God love me? Is God disappointed in me? Am I one bad day away? Am I one question away from losing my faith? Am I one, you know, one month of missing church away from falling off the cliff? And in these five verses that Nora read for us, the psalmist does not talk about our lives or our future like it's a toss-up or a coin flip. He doesn't talk about a faith that's insecure or fickle. He doesn't make the devil sound powerful or threatening. He doesn't make God sound undecided about how he feels about us. No, his very first words are, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. Now, I don't know anything about mountains. I've been to the Grand Canyon one time. We've hiked some mountains. But I don't really know anything about mountains, okay? But I'll tell you something that... um, that I've learned over the last few months about packing up one house and moving into a new house. And that's the difference between real furniture and cheap furniture. Okay? You can tell the difference really quickly. Your back can tell the difference. Okay? And and so in a way, in a way, what he's describing here is a faith that's real. It's not press board. It's solid. And these words are a reminder, you're not one bad day or one temptation or one failure away from losing your faith. That living the Christian life is not like walking a tightrope. But isn't it true that it feels that way sometimes? Sadly, we've come to believe that we have to tiptoe because we don't want to mess up or upset God. But according to Psalm 125, the Christian life is not like walking a tightrope. It's like sitting in the middle of a bank vault. The psalmist says it's like being surrounded by mountains. Now, that doesn't mean that much to us. But back in that time, the most secure boundary that you could have was mountains because you had You had the upper hand in battle. People had to get to you, cross the mountains. It was the best boundary that that you could have. And so what happens to us is we get insecure about our faith. We think we're one bad mistake away, one bad day away, one mess up away. We're walking this tightrope. We don't want to disappoint God. And we live with this idea that God and the devil are equal, and they're on either side of us, and they're fighting for us. And it is true they're fighting for us, but I want to show you this if I can. Chris, will you help me? Bird, will you help me? Come on up here if you could. Everybody give them a hand. Sadie, will you help me? Come on up here. You're going to, Chris, will you stand right here? Chris, you're going to be God today. All right. Bird, you're going to be the devil. No offense. Okay. Sadie, you're going to be you. Okay. All right. Will you guys just, each of you grab Sadie's hand, just one side of her hand. All right. So let's say that Chris is God. Let's say Sadie represents you. Let's say Bird represents the devil, okay? Without hurting her, will you guys just kind of tug on her a little bit this way and this way? We think that this is what, this, we think that this is what it's like to live life, that God's over here trying his best. Hey, don't want Sadie to fall away. The devil's like, ha ha, gotcha, gotcha. Did you watch that thing? Did you do that thing? The dad's like, no, no, she's mine. The devil's like, no, 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 she's mine. Isn't it true that we think a lot of times this is what it feels like day to day, depending on what's going on in our heart and our soul? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches, let go, please, thank you. Chris, switch sides with Sadie, if you would. The Bible teaches that following Jesus is like this, that the devil wants to get to you, and God's like, I got her. You got to go through me. And guess what the devil can't go through? God. 
So go back real quick for me, if you will. Tomorrow, when you wake up, this is not what you're facing. This is not what your life looks like. You're not walking a tightrope, wondering which way you're going to fall at the end of the day. Tomorrow, if you put your faith in Jesus, and you wake up, and you go to work, and you, this is what it looks like. That God has stepped in between the power of sin, of death, of hell, and the grave. And you are secure. Everybody give them a hand. You guys can go be seated. Now, I want to read these verses to you from the New King James translation. And this is what it says in the New King James. It says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time, from this time forth and, and forever. And what's so great and helpful about this psalm is that it tells us the truth even when it doesn't feel true. Look at what it says in verse 1, just from that translation I just read to you. It says, those who trust in the Lord. That's everybody who's put their faith in Jesus. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, according to Psalm 125, you are like a mountain that can't be moved, to which we say, really? I'm a mountain that can't be moved? I don't feel like a mountain that can't be moved. My soul doesn't feel like a mountain that can't be moved. I yelled at my kids yesterday like 17 times. My wife and I are fighting. Our money's in bad shape. I'm up and down. I'm anxious, depressed, fearful, angry. Gave into temptation like every time I had the chance last week. I don't feel like a mountain that can be moved. But what the scriptures tell us is that when our faith is in Jesus, there is a security we're like real furniture, not press board. We're sitting in the middle of a bank vault. God is between Satan and us. And even when we feel like we're moving all the time, on days when we're full of faith or joy, and other days when we're empty with doubt, on days where we're sure that God will answer our prayers, but other days when we're certain he won't or he probably doesn't even care, how we feel does not determine what is true. What is true? is that there is a security and a safety that comes from faith in Jesus. It was John 17, verse 15, where Jesus told the disciples when he was praying for them to God, he said, God, I'm going to leave them in this world. I'm not gonna take them out of the world, but I want you to take care of them, protect them, look after them. And so when we come to verses like this and we think about all the things we feel and all the things that we're facing and all the things that we're struggling with in our life, we say, Jason, I don't feel secure. I don't feel like it's all going to work out. But Psalm 125 is not talking about all the circumstances of our life, the physical pain of our life, our finances, our job. It doesn't mean we're never gonna get fired. It doesn't mean we're never gonna give in. It just means that our soul is secure, that a faith in Jesus makes our soul secure. But what do we do when we don't feel like our soul is secure? For just a few more minutes this morning, what I want to do is I want to just give you three things. I think we could, we could go with a lot more than these three, but I just want to shoot these three things at you that make us feel insecure about our faith. These three things make us feel insecure. These things don't, we don't feel like a Mount Zion when these three things happen in our life. The first one is anxiety. The second one is pain, and the third one is drift. Anxiety, pain, 
and drift. And I want to talk about those for just a moment. The psalmist shows up and says, man, when you put your faith in Jesus and you trust in the Lord, you're, it, you are like, you're, like a, you're like a bank vault. You're like a mountain. You, you cannot be moved. But if you've ever dealt with real fear and anxiety, you know that that feels like the furthest thing from the truth. My uh, oldest son, Solomon, is really struggling to go to bed at night right now. He's just, he's dealing with a lot of fear. You know, I think every kid goes through this stretch at some point. He's just terrified. He's thinking scary thoughts. And no matter what, you know, we say or how much we try to help him, you know, he just, he's scared. And, and so the other day I was tucking him into bed and uh, like three nights ago, I was tucking him in and I was trying to like logically explain to him how these things aren't real, you know, because that always helps. And, um, and he's, he's crying and he says, dad, my brain doesn't work right. I said, what? He said, my brain doesn't work right. Whatever, I know you're telling me good things, Dad. I know you're telling me, I believe you, Dad. You're telling me good things. But when you stop talking, my brain doesn't work right. And all I can think about is bad things. And honestly, as a dad, it tore me up. But as a pastor, I thought, that's a great illustration. (laughs) But isn't that true? Haven't you ever felt that way? Haven't you ever felt that way that like, God, my brain's not working right. I know what you're saying is true. I know what the preacher said is true. I know what my small group said to me. I know what I'm praying. I know what the worship song said, Christ Cornerstone, building my life. I got it. But when I stop singing or when I leave church or when I stop praying, my brain don't work right. And all I can think about is everything that's going wrong. We have to grab a hold of words like Psalm 125, John 17, 15. So many actually different Psalms. We have to grab a hold of these words that are true when what we feel feels like the opposite of what is true. I wanna say something to you that may not sound right, but I wanna say it anyway. What you feel has absolutely nothing to do with what's true about God. Now, what I'm not saying is you should not feel your feelings. Matter of fact, I think you should get up all in your feels. I think you should feel it. I think you should process it. I think, I, I think God speaks to us through knots in our stomach and, 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 and all kinds of, I, I believe that. But what is true about God is true about God. Doesn't matter how what you feel. And your feelings will mislead you. They will mislead you. They will help you to discover the truth sometimes, but they also will mislead you. And so what you feel has nothing to do with what is true about God. What's true about God is true about God. You say, well, how do you know what's true about God? You gotta go to the Bible. You gotta go to the scripture. And in this particular instance, when you are feeling afraid of everything that could go wrong, everything that could go wrong for your children, your career, the the economy, the country, whatever, You have to go to the scripture and you have to remind yourself, my trust is in the Lord. I'm as secure as grandma's bedroom furniture. (laughs) You can't move that thing. I'm as secure as a mountain. I am secure. I don't feel secure. Everything in my brain is going crazy right now. Everything in my heart is going crazy. But I know what's true that those who trust in the Lord Their soul will be okay. Not promising you that the circumstances will turn out not 
in painful ways for your life or ways that set you back, but your soul is secure. And so anxiety makes us feel insecure about our faith. Another thing that makes us feel insecure about our faith is pain, like real pain. And the psalmist who wrote this, we don't know who wrote it. It was an anonymous writer, but the psalmist who wrote it is living in a time that is very familiar with pain, sickness and death, despair, persecution, very familiar with rape and the pillage of military invasion and earthquakes and natural disasters. When the person wrote Psalm 25, there were no hospitals or aspirin or anesthetics. His government did not have billions of dollars to spend on national security. To live during this time was to be very um, familiar with pain and suffering. Life expectancy was low. And so part of your daily life was pain. And still yet, he writes these words. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as a mountain. And I know some of you this morning, you're dealing with real pain, like physical pain, cancer diagnosis, lifelong pain that you've had that you take medicine for, but that only helps a little bit. And you'll have that pain maybe until you die. I don't know. Some of you are dealing with emotional pain, mental pain, relational pain, and it is very real. And when you are dealing with that kind of pain, everything inside of you says, God doesn't care about me, God's not for me, God doesn't love me. If God cared about me, if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your soul is secure, your eternity is secure that Jesus solved the greatest problem and need that you will ever have by going to the cross, defeating death, hell, and sin on your behalf. If you've been following Jesus for long at all, you know that it does not exempt you from some of the worst things in life. But the worst things in life are not the worst things that could ever happen to you. The worst thing that could ever happen to you would be disconnected from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so pain can make us feel insecure. But the last thing that can make us feel insecure about our faith is drift. I, I, I just use the phrase drift, and what I mean by drift is I just mean those seasons in our life that I was describing a little bit earlier where we know that there was a time when we committed our life to Jesus, but we know that it's been a while since we've practiced our faith. It's been a while since we felt close to God or been committed so many of you, you're, you know, you're in and out. We see you depending on what's happening in your life. And listen, I get it. I would love for you to be here more and be more committed. I get it. But at least you know you can show up here when you need to, and that's okay too. But there is this sense of drift, this feeling of drift. I'm a Christian, but I'm not where I should be. I love Jesus, but I'm not practicing my faith. And when you lay in bed at night or you're in places you shouldn't be, or you're struggling with things you used to struggle with, but you know, now you're struggling with it again, you can begin to wonder, do I even have a faith? Is God mad at me? Is God disappointed in me? Am I about to fall out, be out, backslide, slip down the slippery slope that's always so slippery? The words of Psalm 125 are still ring true. That those who trust in the Lord are as secure 
as a mountain. But I do think that it is worthwhile for us in this moment to maybe just take a little bit of inventory about where we are in our trusting in the Lord, where we are in our soul, where we are in our faith. So here's what I wanna do as I close today. I want you to imagine for a moment. Matter of fact, if you would close your eyes, we're not praying, I just want you to be able to visualize. We'll pray in a second. But if you would just close your eyes for a moment, and I want you as best you can, I know there's all different kinds of mental brain personality types, but just go with me for a second. I want you to imagine for a moment that your soul is a boat out in the middle of a big pond or a big lake. You're out there by yourself. The boat's out there. Your soul is out there by yourself. Based on where you are right now, based on your spiritual condition right now and your faith right now, your soul is this boat out in this lake or this pond. And I wanna ask you four questions about where you are right now with your soul and your faith and your relationship with Jesus. First question is this. Are you sailing? Is the wind blowing? Are you moving somewhere? By sailing, I mean, are you living the Christian life with the wind at your back? God is real to you, real to your heart. You, you often feel his love. You, you see prayers being answered. When you study the Bible, you, you sense things and see things. You see the spirit at work in your life. You would say, my soul is sailing. Second question, maybe you're not sailing, but you would say, I'm rowing. I'm rowing. Rowing means that you're finding prayer and Bible reading to be more of a duty than a delight. And God often seems distant. And the sense of his presence is rare. You don't see many prayers being answered. You're struggling with doubts about God and yourself. But despite all of this, you refuse pity or pride that assumes you know better than God. You continue to read and pray and attend and reach out despite that dryness. It's not what it should be, but you're rowing, you're trying. Maybe you're not sailing or rowing. Maybe third, you would say, I'm drifting. Drifting means that you're experiencing all the conditions of that rowing spiritual dryness that I described, but instead of rowing, you just said, I'm gonna drift. Wherever I go, I go. You're not approaching or obeying God. You don't pray or read. You give in to self-centeredness. Feel sorry for yourself. Self-indulgent for comfort. And so you would just say, my soul is drifting, Jason. But the last condition, maybe the fourth one, you're not sailing or rowing or drifting, but you would say, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. Eventually, your boat or your soul will drift long enough and far enough that you lose all forward motion in the Christian life and your heart and your soul become hard and numb and some major difficulty or trouble comes into your life and you decide to abandon your faith or identity altogether. I want you to think about that for just a moment. If you had to describe the condition of your soul as this boat out in this lake or pond, would you say you're sailing, you're rowing, you're drifting, or you're sinking? I want everybody to look at me. Wherever you are in your condition, you can take a step towards Jesus today. 
You're going to go through these ebbs and flows and these seasons where things are not red hot in your faith. And it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you're not saved. You are as secure as Mount Zion. But maybe you are here today and you would say, Jason, I was secure, but I can be honest enough with myself to know that I have walked away from my faith. I'm not talking about seasons where we're unsure or drifting. I'm talking about when we say, you know what? I have walked away from my faith. I have abandoned it. I did decide to let it go. God didn't let me go. I left God. God didn't leave me. I left God. If that's you, I think today would be a perfect example or a perfect time, excuse me, for you to make a recommitment to decide, you know what, I, I do want to come back to God, have a relationship with him. And I love this metaphor. It's a Tim Keller metaphor that I read years ago because it reminds me that there are some things that I'm responsible for when it comes to the condition of my soul. That God's grace is good. It's better than I understand. I'm more secure than I ever know. He's got my back and my front and my side. He's for me. He's with me. But if I would, were to look at the condition of my soul and my faith at this time and this season, and I would say it's been a long time or it's, I can't remember the last time that I was trying to actively pursue him then maybe it is possible that I left that security. By my own choosing, I abandoned it. I walked away. The seasons of life pushed me away. Conditions pushed me away. I bought the lie that something else was better than Jesus. I would love to lead you today and give you the opportunity to come back to a trusting, saving faith in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, Kaylee and the team are gonna come and they're gonna sing and lead us in song. While they're doing that, the elements for communion will be set up here in the front and in the back prayer team will be up front. If you need to pray, you can come forward. If you, We encourage you to take communion. You don't have to. If you don't want to do that, just let that time go by. But when you take communion, if you're taking communion and you come and you take that bread that represents the body of Christ and you dip it in the juice that represents the blood of Christ, I want to encourage you to, to do something today. When you dip that bread, before you, you put it into your mouth, before you take the Lord's Supper, I want you to remind yourself, maybe you thank God or maybe you say it to yourself or whatever you want to do, but I want you to remind yourself that Jesus Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed on the cross to give you security, that your soul is secure because of what Jesus did, not anything you'll ever do or anything you can ever muster on your own, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, no matter how you feel, no matter how bad it hurts, or no matter where you're drifting today, Jesus Christ did the work for you, and your soul is secure. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus, for the security of knowing that your love for me is not as fickle as my behavior in the last 24 hours. God, I pray for every person this morning who is struggling with insecurity about their faith, they feel like they're walking a tightrope. They feel as if they're one mistake away, one bad day away. I pray that we would leave here encouraged with confidence, God, that you have us, you surround us, and the devil cannot get to us. 
that things may happen in our life and we may face things that are uncomfortable or painful. It may get worse than it is right now, but what we never have to doubt is that our soul has been purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are secure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.